0: Welcome into to Natchez Glenhouse Stories. My guest this week doesn't know this, but I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, my guest is Roy Diblick. And, and Roy, I want to start here because I think you have a really fascinating path to plants. And I want you to give us a little bit of a, a background framework here. I know that you worked in education with the natural world and the greater Chicago area. Is that where... Plants started for you, or did you grow up with plants in your universe, or is, no. where was it for you?
1: Well, I, I basically uh, grew up in Berlin, suburb so of Chicago, and it was a bohemian Italian neighborhood. I grew up mostly sports, playing, playing, playing baseball, basketball. I was kind of good, but I was never real good. But when you're kind of good, you think you're real good. You don't know your path until you get older and you have more competitive, and there are more more people competing with you. I was really plant driven. I think while we were driven, I enjoyed being outside all the time. And then when I went to college, I didn't know what to do. I just knew I wanted to do something outdoors and not be in a building. And I got into outdoor education. So I got a degree in outdoor education and worked with kids from the projects in Chicago, uh, at Chicago Commons. And that was fun because we're all spontaneous. And the cool thing about kids is they never stop asking questions or getting involved in something. You know, sometimes adults. I'm afraid to ask questions because they're, they don't want to look like they don't know something. But kids, they don't care. They're firing questions. <laughs> so my day was really filled with activity. And that program got canceled when we had the gas shortage. So then I went to work, uh, to care parks in St. Charles for a year and a half and learn how to drive equipment, stick shift and bobcats. And it was kind of fun. I learned how uh, to get on a payloader and material an on snow pile. And then I had the opportunity to of my, uh, the park district bought a place called Natural Garden, and he asked me to run it because I had a good work ethic, a good bohemian work ethic from Berlin. And when I went there, it just it's I just was curious about everything. There was about 350 species of perennials all on the ground, and you dug everything fresh and put it in a beer flat and charged 50 cents. So I just started learning about the plants based on how they lived in, in the earth and how they related to each other in the earth, in these mixed beds. And the owner, of Mr. Stevens, who sold it, he was 82 83 years old. He would come out every day and sit with me and share his knowledge of plants with me, telling me how to dig on an angle. Don't get too much soil. You're missing, you're missing their crown. You got to dig this way. And people loved him yet. So they just thought I was a nephew and that didn't bother me. I was fine with that. And that's how I began learning about perennials and I never had really a class in horticulture, which was somewhat beneficial because I didn't get put in somebody else's box
0: which is very oh, true important. right like that's yeah. something that you yeah. sort of see i think especially in, in in i don't want to say a more current mindset of it roy but there's definitely historically then a lot of preconceived what is sometimes right. presented as facts but are also many times anecdotal right, right. Uh, it's just we why do we do it this way well because we've been doing right. it this way. Stop asking questions. That's what we've been doing, right? Did you? A lot of practices
1: did, are homogenized. Like what we do for a tomato, we do for a prairie drop seed. They're two different, they're two different beings. So, you know, a prairie drop seed lives a whole different life in a different type of situation than a tomato does. So, why would we do the same thing for both plants,
0: basically? Was the nursery at that time? When you come to work there, what was the mix like? What was the plant mix? Was it was it leaning into like what was yeah, traditional yeah. at the moment, or was it more unique yeah, for the area? Solid
1: now? perennials, solid perennials that weren't really too common to people. And then we had Erebus, different Erebus, four, you know, double solid Erebus. And then we had a uh, triflorum. I mentioned that earlier, Gine triflorum. We had a uh, Flax Bifida, actually, which was cool. No one had Flax Bifida. And of course, it didn't live everywhere, it only lived in sandy soil, so I killed it every time I planted it when I moved it. I didn't know that it was brewing really well. green in sandy soil. I could trying to wind it to do what I thought I wanted it to do, and the flocks could only do what it does. So I learned about plants that way, too, by moving in situations where they couldn't, they didn't know how to live. And then, yeah, we had a good solid It was a good solid mix of trangles, Mr. Stevens. And he had 50. He was there from 53 to 78, you right off. And he bartered with people, so he would trade with people. And he we went out and dug, uh... Trillions when there were homes going up west of St. Charles Illinois, so he knew a home was being developed, so he'd run out there and save all the trillions and bring them back to Natural Garden, and was, put
0: them in soup cans, which was cool. Was it ever for for you? And I think this is something that's also seems to be common that being a grower, especially at a decent scale, gives you a real different perspective of plants do you think that experience and, and being before becoming design the growing oh, yeah. of the plants you get to know them in a more intimate way than most people do
1: yeah i think being a growing yeah i think that's for sure definite. you you look at each plant it becomes like your child you know you, get, you develop a relationship with them and when you see magic when you take a handful of seeds and put it in a bag with some moist nice sand and all of a sudden nine weeks later you sow that seed. And they all germinate. To me, that's always been magical that they would turn into something I could actually sell eight weeks later. It's, it's so magical. I saw them quite a that I can, if those little seeds germinate and become somebody in an eight to 10 week period within the same year. And it keeps you humble too or grounded because something's always suffering in a pot. There's not plenty of earth that evolved in a container. So you really have to imagine and think about them continuously it's not they're not comfortable in class. they have a shelf life so It keeps you grounded because you can never think you're you're really somebody mm. because something out there is dying so you have to kind of cure, cure, curiosity you have to figure out why or, 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 or come up with some solution yeah. So yeah I think
0: it's helped a lot in design well and That's I think I think it's also interesting too and you've, you've got a good perspective here to be a person that asks this question of Now we see a lot of plants in the market space that are compact, little green meatballs that are are grown Mm -hmm. and bred to just be this certain size that fits on a rack. It's come up on a couple of recent podcast episodes, you know, Roy, from other guests who are in the position to breed some of those plants into those racks. What is... Was it the same then? Was there always that pressure of of the independent garden center, like retail sales on a bench, or was it? What was the mix for you? How have you seen that sort of evolve over time? Has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better?
1: Well, I think it's it's like any any uh, industry. I mean, usually it's 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 all marketing and sales, which drives every industry. And and when you look at purchasing, how people purchase plants, they purchase. Based on how, how they look and how they represent themselves in a the pot. That's the only way people come to know plants is they, they're introduced to them in a container. So when you look at a plant, the idea of, of plant hybridization, I mean, there's some, some do a wonderful job hybridizing based on garden value, but most of the plants are hybridized based on how they represent and how they, how they show themselves in the container on a bench so they can sell quicker. Um, and I think that's picked up over the years. I think there's more and more of that because we've become we become a, uh, a country that that we like we like we're starting to like gardening as a nation. I think much more than we have, and I, especially uh, you know the young people. I think they're seeing more, they're themselves having better relationships with plants, starting with urban agriculture and going into aesthetics. So I think. Yeah, I, 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 it's sometimes disappointing because plants are regional. I mean, no matter how worldly we want to be, if you think a plant that only has certain genetic knowledge to live in a certain healthy way in a certain region with certain soil conditions, well, some plants just don't have that genetic knowledge how to live in southeast Wisconsin or in Illinois, and they kind of become short-lived and don't do well.
0: Did you feel that there, and this has come up a couple of conversations as well, Roy, that especially here in the United States, it feels like we lost a, a, a couple of generations of like gardener. It, it became oh very yeah. just yeah. landscape centric. I know you've talked a lot about it in, in your book, yeah. that and in, in talks you've done, that like we just created these like you know, mulch beds with a plant every six feet from each other with a yardstick that people went out to low maintenance became the key of everything. You know, yeah. is it is is it a great plant three years from now? Who cares? Um, and it feels like we did lose some people because when you drive around, I'm sure as you do, as I do, as we all do, right. Right. you don't see a lot of gardens. You, you see just the same stuff over and over again. Do you think we've lost right. people somewhere in this last 20, 30-year window? I,
1: I think it, it, it started to take that kind of shape after World War II, when, when a lot of companies created chemicals after the war. Everyone in the market sell those chemicals, and and part of that was changing the language. So in the 50s, the language changed I think from gardening, which you see more and more of gardening in the 30s and 20s, and it became called it. It was called yard work. He said, "The yard work. Who wants to do yard work? Nobody, because in the fifties, the marketing again uh, was to see the USA in the Chevrolet. You don't want to stay out. You don't want to stay outside your house and do yard work. You want to travel and, and get on the super highways and see everything and buy things. And so it became much, much more uh, consumer-driven. And then with yard work and chemicals, I know in the sixties, a lot of the neighbors we had in Pearl, including mm-hmm. my dad." He had a duster This his thing was he'd kill everything that flies except birds with his duster. And that was part of the 60s because he was thought that every insect would damage your home or your property or something. And uh, so, yeah, we kind of lost our, our way in gardening. And we became driven by purity of turf, which was also market-driven. And I was just told that the more nitrogen you put down on your turf, and it really weakens the, the biology of your soil I and mean, the turf becomes nitrogen dependent because the biology of the soil weakens so much because of the nitrogen applied that the biology of the soil can't create the nitrogen that turf produced to live without applying the nitrogen. So it's really, you know, really, uh, it's a complex, simple thing. Yeah. I mean, the simplicity of it would be just create a living system that we can all be healthy in and live within that system and enjoy it.
0: As you, when did you create Northwind, your perennials? Like that, that seemed, because it's it's one of these things too, that I I think for a lot of people, we already mentioned the experience that you'd had at that point. And then that's a big jump, right? I know there's many people that have joked that if you want to go broke, open up a nursery, right? (laughs) If you won't go broke, you can earn a living, but you won't make money. Yeah, I mean, how did you yeah. how did you come to that? I mean, at that point, you're clearly passionate enough about plants where you're willing to jump into it yourself.
1: Well, we we all the three of us, Steve, Colleen, and I, we all worked for somebody. Even when I ran the natural garden, I was working for Craig. And the natural garden got big. It went from me by myself, eleven thousand in nineteen seventy eight, and by nineteen ninety, we we're making one point five million, and I had you know, twenty people I was managing, and I really wasn't comfortable being a manager of people I wanted to be, continue to be a plantsman. And then Colleen wasn't working for someone, so we all were working for somebody. We thought, well, why not move to Wisconsin? And I talked to Peter Orm at Midwest Brown Covers about getting them into perennials. I could produce 350,000 perennials a year because I knew how to do that with a limited crew. And I never had me, heated greenhouses either. I did everything under shade cloth and then with natural occurring temperatures. Then Steve did our brickwork and stonework using natural stone because that's what he loved. And Colleen was in charge of charm. She collected the antiques. She created the charm of Northwind. And the idea was, if we fail, all we do is go back and work for somebody. They don't send you to prison or you know stone you to death if you fail. So why not take a chance? And if not, if it doesn't work, we do what everybody else does. We just go work for somebody again. So that was our, our opportunity to do it. And like I said, we, we've earned a living, but we, we were not business people, so we don't know how to take it to another level. And I think that's been fortunate for us too, because we've done, we've been happy being small. You know, we, we still grow 65,000 plants a year. And we have good design projects. We got to meet wonderful people in the industry. Um, so there's nothing really, you know, Negative about our move. It's been a positive thing for 30 years. You mentioned That's a good the question that made me think about that, how
0: happy we are. Yeah. Well, I mean, Thank I, I, well, I yeah. think it's the next thing I wanted to touch on you with is use the term, you know, plantsman, plants person. And I think for me, and I, we know a lot of the same people, there is this term, plants person, that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And you, you were doing a piece of content that I was watching from a few years ago, really. And someone said not to use botanical nomenclature, right? And oh, yeah. I always am a big believer of we have dumbed down gardening to the point where we took a lot of the things that make it spectacular away. Right. And the language of plants is not any more complicated than any other language that we speak across the earth. And what it does is it allows us, you know, Iris is such an easy one to pick on, Um, you know, that when people hear Iris, they think Germanica and that's it. Right. Despite the fact that there are hundreds of cultivated varieties, hundreds of species across the world, and they don't all do the same thing, kids. That's the other thing. So if you take that ability to communicate like plants, people away from us, you're sort of asking us to tie one of our hands behind our back, in my opinion. Um, what is that meant to you like being a plants person being in communities of people um, throughout your career that I think the culture of it is very unique. And I don't know if people quite Mm -hmm. always understand how passionate people are about it, how creative the people are in it. It's only maybe been in the last 10, 20 years that the term "creative" comes up as m- much as maybe right. it should have over time. What has that meant? Sort of that community of like plants people.
1: Oh, it's been always refreshing because it, it, you see how joyful plant, plant people are, you know, and they're so curious. I don't know one plant-driven person that isn't constantly questioning and curious about some something about a, a plant they're not familiar with. A plant they are familiar with, but they. To share what they know, and other people have other thoughts about it. Uh, and, I, and I think they're right. I think that there's nothing wrong with common names. In fact, they're very, they're very cute. are they're, they're, One lady came in and wanted to buy Bloody Nose. I didn't know what that was, but for her growing up in Champaign, or South of Champaign, I think, it was called Prairie Trillium, or Trillium recurvatum. She had the common name Bloody Nose. I thought it was a cute name, but I couldn't give her, I didn't know how to sell her that plant because I didn't know what that was. And she found it, But, yeah, I think I have a feeling, I, I look at how transformational horticulture is right now. I think we're getting more and more people that are plant-driven. Right? They're finding that passion for plants and plant communities and how plants can be in relate to each other and maintain a level of health by the communities and relationships you develop with plants. So, to me, it's very exciting, and it's great. Being around everybody like right that. There. There's a real camaraderie. Uh, and then the other part is getting other people involved who get interested. So it's a sharing of what we know with, with others. And I see that really exciting for our future, being a more plant-driven uh, industry, agriculture. Well, and horticulture. Horticulture at one time was a skill, and it was a craft or an art just like dancing and music. Uh, it was something
0: very special. Well, and we have this timeline that we're in right now where people like and this podcast is an example of that, right? People like long form. They they don't want things dumbed down and spoon-fed right. to them. That you you have an audience out there and like like you said, I think one of the the interesting things uh about yourself, uh Pete Aldoff has a similar background really too that it's people in the plants world who knew plants, loved plants, and then eventually almost embrace your own creativity um, with them. And you see them that way. Yeah. When did you, you start doing design work? on, on through? Was that oh. at your time at Northwind? When did that really yeah. start to become a that thing was, for you?
1: Uh, about the mid-90s. A uh, group from uh, one of the resorts up there came up. they putting a, a group of condominiums up. And, uh, the owner said, we'd like to do all native plants. I said, well, that's cool. I said, there's one thing, Roy, we want it to look good. I said, wow, okay. I didn't know what he meant by look good. What did he mean by look good? And simply didn't want it being an eclectic mess of native plants. And usually, like you said, when I go to a a nature center, I see plants falling all over each other. I see plants leaning over the walkway. You gotta push them in the air to get by them. He said, I just wanted to can you make it so it looks good? So I thought, well, I think I can do that. And simply, I did it by not using big boost in Indian grass or panicums. I stuck with low-profile sporobolus and schizacrium and glulua, and then I just did more composition. I looked at uh, more sweeps and groups. But really, the key was keeping plants low-profile, the grasses. And the grasses were a wonderful grout. They held the patterns together. So I started learning, uh, basically, by doing that, garden for uh, the resort up there. And then other people started asking and they saw it and they liked it, so it was kind of word of mouth. And then I got some people around the lake interested and in they and I went with perennials within the plants because why not? Why limits to just one way of doing things. And then it just started becoming something I enjoyed. And then I used uh, nature for my inspiration. And that's just wandering through prairies. We're up in the Kilmer, and there's patterns everywhere. And I could see creating patterns with plants. And and then I met Pete in 2001.
0: How much of a plant plant design garden geek were you before, before you had started doing the design work on your own? Like for somebody like myself, I consider myself a proud... Great Dickster fanboy, Roy, over yeah, time. Yeah. And I, I read Christopher Lloyd's words, like they're had, the Torah. I
1: had all his books. He was, an he was inspirational. And uh, so I had all his books. But, um, I'm trying to think of what the Advent, uh, adventurous, what's the one? Adventurous Garden?
0: Yeah, Adventurous Garden, Well Tempered Garden. Yeah. Well
1: Tempered Garden was cool. That's, I think, one that I like. And Graham time Thomas just blew me away. Uh, the Art of Planting. I love his book, The Art of Planting. I just, it's just, I kept reading, wondering, how can I be an artist? How can I figure out the art of planting? And I did, I put gardens in the north one, but never thought they would go anywhere, and people truly felt they were too eclectic, or too mixed. They weren't big sweep there. I wasn't old in sweden I didn't put in 50 Rebecca, yeah, 50 Seedum, 50 Miscanthus. I that seemed unfair to the plants to put them in such big groups because they didn't live well in monoculture like here, They decline quickly and have to keep dividing and replanting. So I thought that was unfair to the plants to be asked to live in, in massive groups like that. Annuals you could do that with, but perennials, I've always seen them mingled and mixed and living in social systems in prairie. I just felt uncomfortable planting like 60 Rubeckia Goldster.
0: Which sadly is still done today, Roy, by many of a person, as we both know, well, <laughs> despite the fact um, that the plant has problems, the aesthetic of it. And yeah. you mentioned the native component of it. Yeah. Do you? Because I think we've gone through maybe two transitions. I'd like to get your opinion on this. As natives and, and nativar, these words that were created, started to become mm-hmm. more familiar to people. Right, I think right. there was that moment, like you mentioned, when you're asked to do that project, where people like the they like the ideal of natives, yeah, yeah. but the aesthetic had not been achieved yet. People had not really seen it done in aesthetic ways right. where it looked good. It started to just eventually become where people are like, okay, great, they're native, there's pollinators, yada yada yada, but a garden still got to be beautiful. It,
1: you have to attract people first before you can attract birds, butterflies, or pollinators. If you don't attract people, people will rip it out. They're, they're just... Uh, so that's the first thing then you do that with good composition. It's like music. There's a reason you buy music. It has some kind of rhythm and feeling that makes you tap your foot and, and just feel good. If you just threw a bunch of notes on paper, it might not sound good. Um, and if you rearrange the same notes on paper, all of a sudden you're crying because it's so beautiful. So really, it's, it's about composition. First, it's about the person, how you feel, what your emotional well-being is and what you believe. Uh, makes something beautiful. And then after that, it's about the plants, knowledge of plants. And after you have the knowledge of plants and you realize who you are and what your emotions are, then it's composition. How to put the plants together and place them so they live well and they move you emotionally. And that's the art form, I think, of, of uh, art and is that composition part. That Pete's really good
0: at it. There's a lot of people good at it. But, but yeah, Pete, Pete is brilliant and world respected at it. But yeah. he he resists he, the word artist people. as well, though, right? Yeah. He, he, well, he, okay. he, how do you feel about that, right? Because I think it's something that's interesting. You know, throughout yeah. throughout my time in plants, there's there's mm-hmm. been a, a few people who have leaned into the creativity of it the art of it mm-hmm. but a lot of times people avoid it right I don't know if it's a masculine thing Roy with people or yeah, what it is so but I don't know. there's definitely uh, been this sort of yeah 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 but uh, you know it's 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 not that but but really right. when you see good gardens it really is I mean it's an invoking experience for people oh um,
1: yeah yeah if you're moved emotionally in in a positive way when you're feeling really a, a good, a, something good about what you're viewing that's what I guess I would use the word art and that's what art does it's someone's someone's feelings they put on paper or music or uh, dance or theater or TV or whatever and then when you're moved by that and you react to it that art form reaches out to you so it's not just a personal expression it's a personal expression and it's also a shared expression to people and I think like, that still makes me cry I just did Bell Isle in Detroit, and he has some beautiful patterns there. I think that, uh, I'm trying to think of one. Just to, can't think of the right well, no, idea.
0: it out. and there's an example of Bell Isle, which is a new project in Detroit that you were involved yeah. with with Pete's uh, design. That it, it, it's it's taking nothing, right? Nothing, it, and and creating something. And yeah. I mean, that's in many it's, ways the definition of creativity.
1: Right. Yeah, it's it was just, you're right, it was nothing. In the, even the way he raised grades, he changed the grades the three inch, He got three inch grade level changes within the 16 or 18 gardens he did. And just that grade change and the way the plants were positioned on the grade change un- will undulate the garden when you see it. not only the height and growth of the plants, but also the grade change. So there's all little details that go into the, into the positioning and relationship of the plants, and then it's how well they knit together and grow together. And then finding someone who understands it in the tri garden. Looking for someone to to be the head of horticulture for the garden. That person will then find a way to relate to that plant planting and then consistently have kind of communication
0: with Pete about the, the stewardship and keeping the integrity of the planting. How That's does very exciting. how does the is because I think your your title of your book uh, the no maintenance perennial garden yeah. I, I think was always a great title. When do you think are, are we seeing that a little bit now? You know, obviously in the year we're talking here, Roy, it's the year of global pandemic of twenty twenty. People started to do small gardens. Do you think we're we're just maybe in this recent few years, starting to push back on the no maintenance, the NO, no maintenance that we talked about that it had been so prevalent that people were just pushing and pushing on people that were trying to now communicate that, no, you're going to garden. And that's great. That's what you want to be doing. Gardening is the benefit—it's not the work, as you said—it's not right. yard work. Right. The, the the act of gardening is doing. Do you think we're starting to maybe push back that narrative that had been so prevalent? I, I,
1: I, I don't know. I'm hoping so. I, I think like what I've talked, you get more, more with more and more people, young people. I think people are starting to see it's the joy of doing. It's not—it's not just the joy of having a garden if somebody else do it. It's actually the joy of doing and being the gardener. And I get a lot of people say, well, you can't use the word gardener anymore. It's old fashioned. People are gardeners. that get turned off. But I, I think it's, it, I think the word gardener can take can rise to a level of, you know, just what we have as a composer, a musician. It doesn't have to be something people don't think has much value. And the other thing I look at is, uh, people are more sensitive now towards how the process of planting. When you, instead of putting everything in all at one time and making it very difficult to care for, you stage it in. You stage in the ground layer that cuts a foot candles of light down below a thousand foot candles of light in the ground to minimize weed germination, seed germination. And then you can keep enhancing and adding entertainment of different values in you know, a five to three to eight or ten year period, whatever your time period is, and you budget it in. It's the same thing people do with a home when they buy a home. They don't remodel the whole home at all same time they do the bathroom first or the kitchen two years later they do the bedroom or paint the basement and i think gardening and that's the joyful part is the continued enhancement so i i don't know if that's out there happening as much as i like it to but i do get a sense that
0: that's there you now well and we have so we anymore. have some of the imagery now through your own work, through a lot of other people's work, I think to communicate it where it hadn't existed as much in the past. Do you see, because I think this is something I get these questions a lot, Roy. I was actually just answering one of them earlier (laughs) today, that the thought for people in understanding whatever terminology we want to call it, layered plantings, plant associations, that It's the timing, you know, when a plant starts to push out of the ground and how, when it gets to that full season's maturity versus maybe a plant that comes out early like a daffodil, but then fades away and then needs something to cover where it was. Do you think that's like the the gardening 2.0 for a lot of people, for them to, to get that concept of understanding that it's creating these associations where these plants live in these communities? really happily with each other, but it, and it makes a more beautiful space?
1: Um, I think that's easier to share with people now. Before, it was difficult to have that kind of talk about plant growth and plant rate rate of growth, from youth to maturity. But I think it's, it's becoming easier to explain, and I, and I can use analogies based on humans too, That okay. from birth to adulthood, at certain ages we can only do certain things. And when you look at a plant, you put the plant back in a kind of relationship and how they grow into each other and how they can grow into each other healthy. You can see at certain ages plants will grow in based on their growth rate growth habit, and they they can share the collection of light together. So not one plant is inhibiting the other within the three to four year period. And then after five years, then you at one plant might be leaning more or whatever based on their relationship to each other, maybe limiting light, and then you can garden it. You can garden that, and take a plant out and move it, or you can say, "Well, if you shade this plant out, that's okay." I got so many other things happening that I can I can live with you shading this part of this plant out. So I think that discussion is easier now than it's been before. I right? think I have there's more time to share that with people because they kind of get that life is all about relationships with people, with products, with it, with it, with whatever. We start to see that one thing ties into another, and it's out there in the news more when we look at the situation with bird migration. Now, with everything, people talk about systems. Oh, at least that, that language is out there built up too. So
0: Joe. That's cool. And do you think that is also gets back to And, and no offense, don't send me hate letters, okay, people? It's okay, you'll be fine. Don't get so offended. Sometimes you guys get a little offended. I'll take a shot. I'll be like the gardening media, and then I'll get a comment from somebody that it was dumbed down for a long time. Like I said, Roy, you know this was the kind of thing where I I, I think what we're talking about, and like you said, I think people are more receptive to it. I mm-hmm. I often feel like we weren't giving people enough credit for their mental capacity. It's not like what we're talking about is some kind of completely abstract concept. But I I think the way it was, one of my my least favorite things in life, Roy, were forever, you know, gardening media of all types, which is producing these, my top five favorite perennials for shade, my top five this, right? right? And it was just a parade of that. Do you think that was really an an industry-almost driven Problem because that was the kind of content we put out to people,
1: yeah. It was marketing, you know, it was the way we marketed, you know, plants. It was uh, there's a whole sometimes a goal which we believe will be helpful because so everybody wants to make money. Sometimes that goal can be hurtful because you might there might be more money made by selling the top five plants, but there could be you could make more money if you show people how to be healthy, smart gardeners, they'll buy more. I mean, that's just to me, if you I show somebody. I'll put a gardener in a healthy way, and I work with them. I spend more time with them. They come out here and they buy more plants because they're so joyful about it. So I think the more we can help people understand the value and the joy of gardening, how it makes their family healthy, their property healthy, their earth healthy, soil, they're going to spend more money buying plants. But they won't buy bags of fish emulsion, they won't buy... Hands of something. They might not buy products, but they'll they, surely buy more plants.
0: They won't be buying a bag that has the word miracle right on the front of it, right? <laughs> yeah, they only have uh, things that if
1: they don't you need.
0: Know, well, let's these, talk about that. Stuff you don't need. This is a subject that that I'm personally interested in. That you have brought up a lot, and it is very much tight plantings that prevent. The need as much for you know traditional mulch, wood chip mulch. Do you top yeah. dress with anything? Like like at, when you finish one of your plantings, do you put oh yeah top dress yeah. in there? And what do you top dress with?
1: We always use a uh, local leaf mulch. We have uh, we use leaf mulch for all our plantings. So we'll, we'll mulch everything with leaf mulch to so keep the soil evenly moist to so, inhibit. Uh, really on the young wheat growth, so we capture us with leaf mulch. We grind a village of Fontaine here on the West, and the lake, tub grinds it. They collect about uh, 15 windrows of leaves to harvest from the, the uh, community, and then they tub grind it to save space, and then they sell it, so we buy, I don't know, 400 yards from them, so we do but uh, and we go back. <coughs> we put leaf mulch down on a lot of the gardens we care for because people aren't Ready yet to press to leave the of debris. But we do have clients we mow everything for with mulching mowers. We leave the litter right in the garden and we don't need to bring mulching anymore. In fact, the village of Fontana, we do, uh, 23,000 square feet of, uh, boulevards for Fontana and we mow everything and leave all the debris there. So they save a fortune in not remulching every year and the money can go towards, uh, adding plants and bulbs. And, uh, and we've cut their costs. I think we're about 95 cents a square foot at $50 an hour labor rate. The village, I think Milwaukee pays like $2 a square foot, the wood chip and put spireas in, in the <laughs> and the he
0: And I think that is sort of that, that difference again too. And even economically, it's one of the things that has sort of yeah. puzzled me recently in some conversations on the podcast is the style of, of, you know, it's, it's, it's the, sp- it's, it's really these, these tags, Roy, let's be honest with it, with <laughs> these yeah. tags, yeah. right? The tag says 24 to 36 inches. And then there's a little arrow and it says this much distance and it's all of, you know, my, my joke I on this space. is yes, right. p- plants were socially distancing before any of us were in 2020. Oh yeah. That yeah. how do we, we see, I, I would assume for you are, Customers, like in the design side of it, and obviously Pete's Gardens are an example of this as well, the amount of plant material is really a lot more bang for your buck than the mulch that typically people are paying for. Is, is there ever a reaction there from clients that you're, they're like, wow, this is a lot of plants?
1: Well, we manage that by uh, reducing we, we, we the size of the product instead of using gallons. At $11, $12 a plant, we'll use a 4-inch pot at $5 a loop. Now, I played a 19,000 inch plugs. And if I put a two and inch perennial on the ground in June, it equals a gallon in four to six weeks when it's when it has good parents. So we're using two and inch containers and 4-inch containers for a lot of projects. And we're doing 12 to 15 in spacing. And the goal is let the plants knit together. And it's, when they knit together, they collide socially in a happy way. It's not these social collisions that cause thugs and bullies to take over the garden and crowd each other out, but it's by positioning the plants and selecting the plants so they mingle well together. It's just like you hugging your family member. Every living thing likes to be intimate and share intimacy. There's not one living thing I know that wants to be four foot away from somebody. Even now, social spacing is rough for people.
0: Yeah. Well, and and so when you see something, let's pick on like echinacea for a second. There, I find there's an irony developing almost at the moment too, Roy, that here we've got a plant and I joked with someone the other day that I looked at a few availability lists the other day and I think there were no short of 105 cultivars of Echinacea on these three availabilities. But so many of them are tight, squat, small flowers and small plants. I think some people are shocked at how, Small, some of them actually are, you know, eighteen inches Mm -hmm. even. But yet, that's really what you're seeing at the point of sale for independent garden centers and big box stores. But I know a lot of times in the work that you're doing, as far as design work goes, you want some echinacea with some, you know, size to it as well. Like, is that? Do you think there's a moment where that's confusing for people out there for like gardeners who? Who go to that independent garden center and the ones they see, or I'm not going to name any names, but I could. Yeah, some of them have me, the name you, Double Scoop.
1: That you have to go with uh, goals and objectives for your your project. So before you choose a plant, pick a plant. You look at goals and objectives of what your what's the what's the purpose of your project? What's the style of planting design? What's your goals objectives for carrying and stewardship? Uh, what's the aesthetics going to be? What's your time frame to reach your aesthetic goals? And then when you have a goals and objectives, it's like anything. And you start to pick and choose. Um, you pick your site, you evaluate your site, then you make a plant list based on what plants will live on that site. And then you might be inspired by a painting or something to choose your color tones and color tones of changes. And then with your list, based on what will live and satisfy your goals and objectives aesthetically, then you create your communities and your relationships based on who will grow well into each other based on growth rate and growth habits. And then you pick the size of the plant set you can do economically that will fit that style and practice of planting. So it could, you could do everything in two and a half inch containers. You can mix two and a half inch containers with, um four inch pots because you might want to get something to fill in, spread quicker. And so, go without goals and objectives, you have no rhyme or reason why you're taking it. Two and a half inch pot, four inch pot or a gallon because you don't know what your choices are or will be. It's, it's pre-thinking of it. the process up is very beneficial. And It seems like a lot of work. Well, do I have to think that much? Well, why don't you? Why wouldn't you want to think that much?
0: Well, and so much of the work really yeah. is is done with you know pencil and paper. You know, yeah. so <laughs> I think it's one that's of the, the fun part. That's it. It's, it that uh, costs you nothing, right? Besides your own creativity right. and your own currency of yeah. time. I mean,
1: we didn't just start launching guys into space, hoping they hit the moon. Okay, let's just keep sending rockets with two guys into space and hoping someday they make
0: it to the moon. Do you think that gets we back a little bit to the rules time. of of like there were these also, you know, I think there you know we see it with foundation plantings around people's homes, clearly, oh, yeah. or, or the yeah. classic, right? The you know, depending upon where we're out in the world, the boxwood cloud that homes float on. That mm-hmm. there were this, I think people have these very rigid. Ideas about gardening, right? Like, this is where this plant goes. This is where this plant goes because that's where they were and that's it. And if I see this plant in my garden, even if I don't like it, I still keep it there because it's there. The end. Mm-hmm that yeah. some of this is like what you're talking about is the, the pre-time right. is where creativity can flow. You can research plants, right. you can find mm-hmm. out things. You, 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 oh, you, yeah. you people, you haven't lived until you have started to go through all of the Carrick's introductions that are now available in the universe. I mean, this is, oh, yeah. you could yeah. spend three hours of your, of your life finding these new introductions mm-hmm. that are out onto the marketplace. Do you think that's part of it is this sort of like um, an allowance to have fun and be creative with it?
1: Oh my gosh. And you got November to March. You got all winter. That's why it snows. For most you got all winter sitting think The whole Sunday, you can look through things, you can you can plan the the style, the planting pattern, you can and you, and when you do plants on grid paper, if you put the patterns together, you're not spending any money. You know you're just a pencil and eraser and some grid paper. And you can keep creating it and you can review everything five or six times to see how you feel about how they're gonna grow into each other. It's a very enjoyable process. The creation part is very enjoyable. The thinking and then the finding and the doing. It's, uh, and I think it's still, it's part of being a human being. Cause, you know, when you look at how our, how we evolve as humans, we, 90% of the way we are is based on our interaction with nature. We still want to touch the earth, no matter how urbanized we become, that there's still this moment where you, see the sky, the sunsets, sunrises, and you're moved. But we still have that within us to to, to touch and deal with nature.
0: And I think that's good. Did you, your relationship with Pete Aldoff, did, you know, he, he, uh, there's a lot of synergy between you guys in some ways. Roy, I don't know if you guys have talked about this or not, but you're both, you, you, you know, Pete as well starts with a nursery first. People didn't yeah, even know yeah. he was a designer, which for those of you that that don't know that story, it's sort of remarkable um, that someone who's considered one of the, the foremost designers in the world today people didn't even know he, he did design he just had a nursery and that's yeah. how he became in, in sort of involved in the plant world did, did you guys start a relationship and, and see some of that synergy between the two of you?
1: Well, I think when he came out, uh, he faxed me in 2001 when he got the Lurie Garden Competition. Friend of ours, mutual friend in Holland, he told Pete about me and my plant driven ways. And Pete came out here with a friend, John Cole. and as soon as he saw Northwood, he knew I was the right person because it reminded him of Humalock. We have a 1907 farm. Our fields were filled with perennials, And the first thing he got out of his rental car, he was running into the west field. He saw plants he didn't know existed. He saw yellow summer beauty in bloom. So I said, "Well, how are you doing?" Boom. All right. Can we got go out in your field? I want to see what those plants are. So he's he's extremely curious. That was Paul. Just he just he's very curious about plants. Well, and, and any, he can't help it. And it's just this
0: nature. And that, and again, gets back to that that plants person kind of view. Occasionally, yeah, yeah, because I I know we've both had this experience, Roy. When we visit someone's place, we do the exact same thing Pete did. (laughs) We just go, we go. What's that? And you just start going. Um, you want to see it? Is that still something that when you collaborate, the two of you? I mean, how much of your your time now is spent in our? You know, I I don't want to say there's a palette that people get comfortable with sometimes, but do you still? challenge yourself for, for new things you haven't. It's one of the, it's one of the things I've mentioned many times about your work, Mm -hmm. Pete's work, other people across the world is what I enjoy about it is it makes me revisit something that maybe I know of, but I haven't looked at that way before. Is that part of it too, that you continue to challenge yourself to maybe revisit some things or find new things?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reusing Centauri in Montana. At first, I stopped using it because it's heated everywhere. But now I, I'm reusing it because it blooms early. It's a beautiful blue. I can prune it and re-bloom. And if I put it in not early but later, like three years later when the plants are more mature, there's less opportunity for it to recede because the mature plants now take up space and won't allow the centauria to become a thug. So I, I avoided it for probably 10, 15 years, and now I'm back to using it again because it's a beautiful blue. And I put it in an older garden, it uh, in an older garden. So there's a lot of plants that I just and and on eucalyptus, the Tarmica, there's the one out called Peter Cottontail. That's bloomed summer.
0: It has, hasn't What's it? I it? have it here too. It's very good. Yeah,
1: that's cool. That's bloomed summer. It's cool. well, okay. Maybe I'll start using that again.
0: Yeah, and it's a and, and it's interesting how there are you know, a plant like, um, aryngium yuccafolium, these, these plants that were sort of out there in the universe forever, but yeah. just weren't used really right, at, at mm-hmm. all. And, and gr- I, I've got to talk to you about grasses for a second because I think sometimes, uh, grasses become almost too much synonymous with some of the the planting style that we're we're talking about. Do you ever worry that sometimes it's it's linked too much to that? Like people are like, "Oh, that's one of those ornamental grass gardens." Kind of talk.
1: Yeah, sometimes that happens, and um, it's 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 not. I won't say it's all. It's, it can happen, but it depends on the type of grass that's used. When you use the soft, gentler grasses like the Sparoblis, I think it people just can't help but like that texture. So there's sometimes miscanthus is a problem. I don't use many miscanthus, but I do use it. And that's just it's a more heavy look, a coarser look. And so but the softer grasses, uh, millennia, with that very soft way of looking through it, transparent. There's not many people that don't like that. I just don't uh, don't really seem to be upset by the textures of some of the softer grasses.
0: Were you growing so, grasses early in your time at Northwind? I mean, was that something oh, yeah. that, that early on that you embraced? Yeah,
1: i panic in Northwind in 1982 on some railroad tracks in Elgin, oh, no. So we were. Yeah, I was growing grasses. We started with Miscanthus brasilimus, I think was the first one, and then we were doing the native grass uh pan and and then I, when I was collecting seed for Pan and in 82 I found the vertical perfectly vertical grass along railroad tracks in South Elgin so I dug a part of it out and I didn't divide it till 90 when we came up to Wisconsin I introduced it in 92 or 93 through Midwest ground rivers. But yeah I think we were doing a lot of grasses uh I didn't do many such as I had such in the late 80s but no one really like they were
0: difficult to sell and and i and i have to imagine do you take a sense of pride in the fact that now i mean it's it's so still universally embraced i mean i know john hoffman is someone else who was early doing nursery work with grasses in the united states that yeah do do you feel a certain sense of of accomplishment at all do you take do you take time right to appreciate it at all because i know a lot of times oh yeah yeah i think that's that's
1: a cool part of getting old uh, it, it, it when as, as you get older, you can't do anything about it, so you kind of appreciate it, and then you have, uh, and then you can get a sense of, uh, kind of how you got to be who you are, and you, know, you saw you see the path where you took, especially the people you met. You know, it, it, as you keep meeting these unique personalities and and people along the way, it's really it, it's like so cool get to know people that share such uh, personal passions like now I'm with Jerry Wilhelm I'm from Jerry Wilhelm a Florida, Chicago region so in, in his book Florida, Chicago region, it's every plant that grows native and I'm native in Chicago I think 42 counties in Michigan and Indiana and Wisconsin and he has the plant associates for uh, every plant that grows so not only do you get the plant that lives in 22 or 18, 20 counties, you get every plant that grows with every plant. In his last edition of his book, it's every insect that relates to every plant that grows with every plant. It's an amazing book. And now he's doing a book on lichens, on native lichens, which is... amazing
0: just amazing and isn't it interesting how we're now maybe hopefully roy i'm saying hopefully i'm crossing my fingers on all of these subjects kids um we're looking at gardens more as ecology and learning about them and 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 not just in a native sense but even plants you know Uh, i i often wax poetic about the fact that the people behind breeding sometimes, the people that discover plants, the people that go and and, and, and find something like like you have yourself, that, that there's more of a story there when we look at it in a total ecology versus just zooming in on, like, the pretty flower pictures. Right, right. That's,
1: that's, that's the, for me, that's the, one of the key things I keep, like I tell people I'm a constant intern, I keep learning so much from Instagram and from people about more insect populations. And Laura at Lurie Garden, boy, she is something. She's, she was cutting back hollow stem plants. So bees with legs and hollow stems at Lurie Garden then in the park. And she educationally used that. She put signs up of why she's doing that. So people going through it can understand why the plants are 18, 20 inches tall. And she's cut back and the rest of the garden is cut back to ground level in some areas. So I think yeah, it, it's it's a tremendous part between the, the insect capabilities, bird habitat, and um, and you can still relate it to making something beautiful at the same time. So I I think that's uh it's like too exciting actually.
0: When do you see this sort of? Is there a place because? I'll eventually we'll get Pete on here too, Roy, and I'll ask him the question, but I'm curious for you as well. Is there a place where we do some of the stylistic planting that we're talking about, but then we drop a good rose cultivar in there, a dahlia cultivar in there? Is that, do you see that as something that you would do in that initial design? Is that something that's obviously, you know, case by case, piece mm-hmm. by project by project, but is that something that we start to see incorporated as we move forward here?
1: Oh yeah. I put a pumpkin in the boulevards in Canada just to see what people would think. But I throw a pumpkin out there in the middle of the perennial garden. I want to see a reaction. What are people going to do? Oh, hey, we did a bell pepper medal. I just used different color bell peppers with sarsaparillas and uh, steaky jumel and Allium summer beauty and groups of Scrab was through there. But she didn't want to harvest a lot of peppers. She just wanted to pick them and eat some as she, as, she, you know, when she felt like it. And it was cool with the red, the yellow, green bell peppers and use parsley as a ground pepper with, with that decorative parsley. And, and, I, I would never done that. It's my, my, wife encouraged me to try that but she does urban agriculture in Chicago. I said, well, why not? And dahlias, I use the Mystic series of dahlias with the dark foliage. They have the right scale. I think they fit in some of the cardinal planting stuff. So. And I know, I know Pete, Pete does a lot of things now with the animals and he just doesn't stop. He's always got something going.
0: Well, and isn't that, okay. is, do you ever get a little bit frustrated? for yourself for sort of you know the the stylistic work that we're sort of talking about that people want to sort of pigeonhole it sometimes almost you know i i know i've even seen pete's work because pete's work will sometimes be described and probably your own as well as like native but yet you don't use all natives you use plants that work oh, well together yeah. in communities and associations. And then there's almost, I mean, it's a small group of people, honestly, people, yeah. I mean the people that are criticizing Roy's work, these are people that they probably wear thin fall oh, yeah. hats occasionally yeah. as well. But yeah. it, is there any kind of like where you say, Hey, don't do that. You know, don't, don't put, put me in this like corner of like this is the kind of work I do and that's it.
1: You know, I, I never think about that because it's human nature. And it, it's just the way we are as human beings. We all find, I mean, that happens with everything. It's something good, always there's someone out there finding a reason that it's not there. So it's, it's it's like trying to change the way a human being lives. You know, it's, so I don't worry too much about it. I, I, I try to just do what I enjoy and, and then See what satisfaction what response people have to it. And then, and sometimes I'm asked to do things more with annuals. I don't mind doing that. I can learn from that. I'm working on a garden now that does uh, sugar she, have more entertainment and the plants I put in go too slow. I was, way I can speed them up. So I'm, I'm incorporating a few more annuals in there until the perennials get sizable that I can reduce the number of, of the annuals. So I, I don't, I don't mind that. And, and she lives there and I don't, so I can't really do what I want as much as what she's asking me to do. And, and I find that helpful because then I can be more open to so many things. I'm not rigid with what I'll try or do. So, yeah, I don't get people, but there's a nature to
0: box things up. You don't know, put this in a box and that in a box. In the, uh, 40, okay. in the 40 years you've been growing and involved with plants now, since you got started, yeah, um, and this comes up all the time on the as we wrap up here, Roy, that is gardening philosophy more so than anything, Roy? That that's the that's the other besides creativity, that there's just the best plants people, the best gardeners I know are philosophy there's a little bit of enlightenment is a a strong word maybe but there's there's more of a a sense of like you said curiosity is that again sort of an under the radar thing and you know i don't know if the american approach to landscaping has always maybe embraced that word philosophy
1: i think i guess you you like i probably have created a way of being for myself a philosophy so I, I think just what I always, like I mentioned at the beginning, I, I just never felt like I wanted to spend the rest of my life working and working in a building. That was a simple goal almost childlike in a way, being a child. But I, I think building from that, I think I've created my own, my own philosophy for me and how I, how I like to visit with plants. Sometimes like at night I, walk the nursery with a little glass of wine and I kind of see how everybody's doing and, and enjoy the sun going down. I'm very thankful for my life and the opportunities I've had and sometimes I forget that. I get too busy and then running around watering dragon dragging this, transplanting and I forget how fortunate I am to have the things I have and the friends and the wife I have. And, um, so I think The plants have offered me that. They've offered me that chance to take a break, you know, in the evening, and just walk with us, share with us. And I think what also is cool is walking through remnant prairies. They're such teachers. When you find a remnant prairie or a remnant... I was in Door County yesterday in the Ridges, and it almost makes you cry how beautiful the Ridges are in Door County. It's the most southern border forest in the United States. And when you have moments like that in these remnant areas, you, you realize a lot about yourself and how you got somewhere, and the people you're thankful for. Oh, it's, it's a number of things, I like guess.
2: The cross ties of these old abandoned rails Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life it's just like staring in your eyes, and I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here. All I know is nothing's felt so right. So let. Wanna leave this state of my but this night never for me to be Red new high mall, but they're just whispers way up here. They got no rhyme for the reason why it's wrong, but there's still this burning in my ears. Some folks say I probably shouldn't have. Checked this was my life.